Hey, hello, hi, welcome to and or back to the Equitheory podcast. I am your host, Jill Treese, and this is episode 101 of the Equitheory podcast, ladies and gents. We have broken the mold. We are here. We are officially podcasting. I, I don't think you can say you're a podcaster until you've done over 100 episodes. That's just my personal opinion. I'm just kidding. That's, there's no barrier to entry here. I, you literally just have to buy a mic and start talking, uh, which which is problematic in some ways, I think. Uh, the wrong people get microphones, and hopefully I will not be one of them for you today. Um, and hopefully my guest is also not one of them for you, because this this episode is really cool. It means a lot to me because the person that I am having come along for this wild, really long conversation ride with me is Adele Shaw. She is the the man, the myth, the legend. She got me into positive reinforcement way back in the day. I've talked about it several times on this podcast. Um, right, right when I moved to start working for my boss for Sunny, um, it was July of 2018. Zoe collect at the end of the month, and she had to go stay at Red River Equine in Louisiana for a week after she had the colic surgery. I emergency rushed her there. And, uh, she was there for a week and recovering until I could take her home. And then when I, I, we were a couple days from her coming home, but I wanted to be able to like do night checks on her. And I had been planning to move out to Sunny's farm and start working for her, but we kind of just accelerated things. And I slept there without furniture (laughs) for the first night when we got Zoe there, but we really hustled and tried to move all of my stuff in really, really fast, uh, so that I could comfortably stay there with her, uh, because she was going to be on stall rest for a little while after her colic surgery. And so, um, while she was on that stall rest and I was living, literally my house was like right outside of her stall. Um, I, I was like very used to competing and eventing with her. Obviously I was still very in the competition world and I was like, Zoe's really smart. And Zoe has a lot of brain activity all the time. Uh, I, I want to be able to still do something with her. And the last time I had a horse on extended stall rest was Bo. And I had done some trick training with him. And I, I referenced that on later on in this episode, but I did it very poorly. And so with Zoe, I was like, I'm going to do it right this time. And I'm actually going to do some proper research and I'm going to do that on Instagram. <laughs> so that's, I don't know why that's, that's where my brain went. Um, and I just, I think I typed in Liberty or trick training, uh, in the like hashtag search on the explore page. And, uh, one of Adele's videos popped up or pictures and, she has Palomino paints. And so it caught my eye. I'm not really a big paint person, but her ponies do do be pretty. So I I clicked and I was looking and I started reading some of her captions and it got me thinking. And then I started reading more and watching more of her videos and like seeing uh, the tutorials on like how to train different things. And it like really got my attention because I was like, this makes so much more sense than the way I went about it before. So I I really want to learn how to do this. And, um, so I, I think I sent her a message or I commented or something and she responded and we ended up getting on a phone call, which we also talk about several times later on in this episode. And we talked for quite a while and she just fully laid everything out to me. So grateful for her time and energy, um, you know, like being so willing to share that with me because it is her job. So 
you know, it's like to get that for free was very kind of her. And, um, she just like really helped me like get the like crash course on it. And so she sent me some links and some resources and I just like dove in feet first and started working with Zoe and then fell in love with how quickly she picked up on it and like how much she seemed to enjoy it and like all of the new things that I could teach her that I hadn't been able to teach before. And, um, then I started to see a really big shift in her and how much happier Zoe was, uh, having a say in our training where I hadn't offered that for her before. And with a positive reinforcement, she was able to, um, mostly just because I can't like assert my, my control over her per se, you know, like I can't physically manipulate her. Um, the way that I can when I'm in the saddle attached to her via butt legs and hands. And so it was, it was just cool to see her working for just a couple of alfalfa pellets, just a little food reward and, uh, like really enjoying the training and like being able to do these complicated things for very little in return, but she was enjoying it and the payment, uh, the food was worth it. And like, it really, really changed my course in life radically. Zoe getting that colic surgery, being on stall rest, and then me finding Adele, and then Adele being so generous with her time. Like all of that just made the perfect storm for me to get into positive reinforcement and start learning about the science and the research behind why this training works and why it has been around for so long and why it's so effective with things like lions, tigers, bears, oh my. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's really cool. And it's been a long time coming that I have Adele on the podcast because she's literally the reason that I have the podcast. <laughs> um, I, who knows? I might've started one about eventing. It probably wouldn't have been very interesting though. Uh, just a lot of spewing about things I didn't really know about. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I just, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode and, uh, also like, also hear about why, positive reinforcement is problematic and why there are issues associated with it and why it's hard to get into it sometimes and why positive reinforcement trainers and the internet culture around it can be so toxic and like make it almost aversive for people to consider doing positive reinforcement. So without further ado, I introduce to thee the theme music and then (laughs) probably adds and then Adele Shaw. Doesn't our lovely theme music just go so hard? I don't know if you're listening with headphones in, but you should. The intro and outro music is a banger. I never get tired of it, and it it gives me serotonin, okay? Um, anyway, without further ado, we're going to get into some ads and then Adele Shaw. <laughs> Friends, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the Equithery Patreon. By becoming a patron at one of the three tiers, you automatically become an Equithierist. As one holding this holy title, you may simply monetarily support all things Equithery content creation as every little bit counts and it goes a long way toward making the show better and science-based training and management education more accessible. Or, alternatively, you have my permission to reap the sweet benefits to which you now have access. Those decadent benefits include supporting the show, Jill and the Horses. That's me, it's third person, first and foremost, of course. 
But also discounts in the Equithery store, Patreon exclusive swag, which is a fun word that they use, which is a mug and a sticker, but you know, your questions dubbed as those with the highest priority for podcastual response and access to the members-only Discord server where you'll be able to join a community of like-minded equestrians, vote on topics for upcoming episodes, share your triumphs, get advice when you get stuck, and access to all of the beautiful sciencey minds of other trainers. Best of all, you get to join in live monthly meetings. During these meetings, you can ask as many of your training and behavior questions as your heart desires, plus get access to custom curated resources and meet fellow like-minded equestrians who are more than happy to talk horses for hours on end. Seriously. They go for like four hours. It's absurd. But beyond all of that, you also now have access to my eternal gratitude. (laughs) And if you aren't into the whole monthly subscription thing, you can choose to opt for the discounted annual subscription, or you can join for a month, cancel after it. You'll have lifetime access to the Discord server at the Equitherist Light tier, or you can just keep listening to the podcast. I sincerely appreciate it. I make a little bit of coring that way. So like, just keep doing it. Okay, that works for me. But for serious, if you're interested in joining, you can just click on the link down in the description or go to patreon.com and type in Equitheory and become a member today. All righty, guys. I have Adele Shaw on the line. Say hello. Hello. (laughs) Well, for those of my listeners that, God forbid, don't know who you are somehow, (laughs) would you like (laughs) to give a little bit of an introduction? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my name is Adele Shaw, and I'm based in Texas. I'm a certified equine behavior consultant. And um, let's see, what else do I do? I do a lot of different things. People always ask me, like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, how do I <laughs> not spend an hour explaining this? Um, so I'm a horse trainer, but also a behavior consultant. So kind of what that ends up looking like is that I have like two different sides of what I do. I call one side kind of like my mentorship trainer, you know, coach side of things. And then the other side is when I work on behavior cases where we've got some abnormal behaviors or extreme behaviors, anything dangerous, anything like that. Um, I get called in for that. But then I also do a lot of education through social media and I've got Instagram, YouTube. Um, what else do I have? TikTok, Facebook, blog, podcast. Anyway, all the things. And so I'm also a podcaster. I do clinics, <laughs> things like that. All the things, pretty much. Um, I don't know where I find the time to do it all. I don't but either. I, do. <laughs> I seriously wonder sometimes if you sleep because um, it's a lot. I think back in 2013, I slept for a couple hours. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're just a vampire. Don't need it. It's fine. Which is actually really funny because I probably need more sleep than the average person. If I don't get an eight hours of sleep every night, then I get sick. So I actually do sleep a lot. Um, but I have a wonderful team that helps me out, uh, be, I mean, I have three kids, but my husband's super supportive and helpful. And then I also have some other team members that are very, very helpful. And that's the only way I can do it for sure. So that's my big little recommendation there is if you're trying to do it all, you need a good team. Yeah. I was just about to say, I mean, props to you for being able to outsource. I, am a massive control freak. And from our previous conversations, I get a similar vibe from you. So I know that's not easy (laughs) from you. No, I was so proud of myself. I was telling, um, I don't remember what it was exactly, but I let somebody else do an aspect of my business recently. And I was just like, 
R plus to me, like I need all the cookies and all the clicks because uh, that was such a huge step for me to let go of control of that and to outsource that. And it was, it was so like a huge relief too, but also like, I'm just really proud of myself for doing that. You absolutely should be. I know first and foremost, I mean, like, Oh, I've had so many people email me over the years that are like, I'll do it for free. <laughs> like, you sound stressed. I'd be happy to help. And I'm like, I can't, I can't put you through that. And also you will end up hating me, I think. And <laughs> I I need to mature before I allow anyone to help me because I don't think I would be a good, <laughs> good person to work for at the moment. But um, yeah. And speaking of all of that wonderful online education that you're doing, I frequently talk about on this podcast how you are actually how I found and got into positive reinforcement successfully, which is ironically, and I it didn't even occur to me until now that what we're talking about today is like so kismet fitting because you're the one that got me into positive reinforcement, even though I had so many people commenting on my YouTube, on my Instagram, all my social media platforms for years while I was really competitive in eventing, saying like, you know, that's that's not nice. The way you're doing it, your bit is bad and this and that and critiquing me and being like you need to try clicker training, you're being abusive, blah blah blah, all of those things that super put me off of clicker training, which is not what it's about and not what clicker trainers are slash should be. I know we We don't like the word should in this household, but (laughs) uh, in an ideal world, we need to be positively reinforcing the people as much as the horses and uh, not continuing down that cycle of coercion and shame and guilt and all of that. But you are the one that got me into it because you managed to successfully break through that barrier and your generosity with your time and information and knowledge to share with me and explain to me what was going on with all of this clicking and treating nonsense. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the what we wanted to discuss here was this this quote that we've sort of adapted for clicker training positive reinforcement is that if people don't like you because of plus R, that's expected. But if people don't like plus R because of you, that's a problem. So uh, we just kind of wanted to to discuss that a little bit because yeah. Miss Adele made a, a TikTok and I was like, I need you on my podcast and discussing that more. So, um, yep. yeah, I, you know, when I first started out with, well, it's funny you bring up that conversation. We had one conversation. I remember how long that conversation was the very first time we talked. Wasn't it like two hours on the phone? I, I remember so. sitting on my back porch just like talking and talking and I finally emerged and my husband was like what what was that yeah <laughs> coincidentally like... <laughs> also on my porch I I think I just dm'd you and I was like can you explain this to me and yeah. which was like super rude I mean first and foremost which I think I've said three <laughs> times now but like to just be like can you give me a bunch of your time to explain this to me um but I'm really glad you did <laughs> and I hope that I have paid it forward but yeah yeah And that was really, honestly, that was my hope with it too, is, you know, I have to be conscientious with my time and Mm -hmm. I can't do that for everybody, unfortunately, but that's where I try and put out like so much free content is because if you want to know it, if you want to hear it, like it's here, like you can find it all. You could self-educate, you know. I just didn't Um, want to. I wanted you to explain it to me because I'm a child. (laughs) Well, you're, you're, no, you're like me and we needed, we need somebody to like, 
give it uh, just like straight like like let's talk mm-hmm. about this and you had a lot of questions yeah and a lot I need of to doubts be able to and... interject and be like hey wait what about this wait explain that again like I really struggled yeah. with negative reinforcement positive punishment interplay there for a minute and you were mm-hmm. like just keep keep learning about it you'll come around <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and I think you know that just happened to work out and I love how it worked out obviously and you've been <laughs> more than paying it forward and I love how uh your reach and your podcast and I've been a big fan of yours and following all your stuff for a long time now too um right back at but you. I just <laughs> I just love how even it, it just reminded me your kind of journey and watching it reminds me so much of my own too and it's so you know when I first started looking at clicker training and positive reinforcement um I had all the same doubts and the questions and I didn't understand and I was like okay but all the food like what are we doing with Mm -hmm. all of this food and it's just bribery and you know all of the normal questions which I know we uh, you've collected a very long list which was a valuable, valuable list of a lot of the different doubts and questions that a lot of your followers have had or currently have. Uh, And I know I've had, I was reading through that list and I was like, yep, mm -hmm, yep, yep, (laughs) yep. I had all Mm -hmm. of those. I have had them and I had to go through them. I had to work through them. And sometimes people would answer those questions for me and I still had to go and experience it myself before I really believed it. Or, Or there's an emotional guilt shame sort of block there that allows you to like or doesn't allow you to really hear that information and um the list she's talking about I for those listening I asked on Instagram like what put you off of positive reinforcement and my story and I compiled a a really long list (laughs) thank you guys of responses and I I had much the same reaction of like this is this is all my history that it's it's hard to get into in the beginning. And like I said, some things are hard to accept or hear or really let sink in. And then there's also some level of, wow, some of the things that I did to my animal are maybe not what I thought they were and are probably harmed my relationship with my horse, if not definitely harmed my relationship with my horse, which I talk a lot about on this podcast. But yeah, go on with what you were saying I interrupted no you're fine so and I know I've been there too I've had so many horses where I look back and I like to think of it as learning in retrospect because just some of the stuff that I did to my horses or just for years and years and years um like stuff that's regularly frowned upon now wasn't then and Mm -hmm. I did those things (laughs) um like hyperflexion and riding and just like all the things like all the things I did them and um I so when I started looking at clicker training and positive reinforcement it was uh, it, it mm, to be able to accept that information it meant that I had to accept that some of the stuff that I did or a lot of the things that I did with my previous horses or current horses was not only not what I understood it to be, but was actively causing harm. And obviously it wasn't intentional. I loved my horses. I loved them dearly. I would just do anything for them. But somehow through conditioning, through my learning, through whatever it was, I thought that doing these things to my horses and for them was either the better way to do it or was the only way or was just what was needed. And there were so many times I can just think back of different examples where I hated doing the things I was doing, but I didn't know any other way. And it seemed like it was 
it just had to be done. And so to be able to continue oh, yeah. to have my horses, to be able to continue to do what I loved and to um, do like to love horses, it meant I had to do these hard things that didn't feel right, but it was just the only, it was like what you're supposed to do. And, and I couldn't figure out a way around it. Right. Um, and just talked myself into like, well, this is just what everybody does. Like, you just got to do it. And it's okay. Your horse will forgive you. Or maybe it's not as bad mm-hmm. as you're making it out to be. You're being a baby about it, you know, on and on. It's a horse, um, you know, it, just yeah. because I'm having to get off mid-ride and cry because I whipped my horse several times consecutively and I feel very bad about it, but it needed to be done or my trainer told me to. It, yeah. It's, it doesn't, there's so much dissonance there, like really, really difficult dissonance, especially when you're a kid, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't remember or tell you how many times as a child, like I would just do these awful things to my horses that I was instructed to do when the horse did X, Y, and Z, you know, they bite at you when you girth them up. Well, just hold your elbow out. So it's not like you're hitting them, but they run into your elbow every time. And so I'm effectively punching my horse in the nose every time they try to tell me, hey, that hurts, but I didn't know at the time. I thought he was just being a jerk, and that's that's what needed to be done for his own good. And that's just so not the case, but in, in, even in the moment, it feels so wrong. And to not have any alternative, like, all you can really do is just sort of give in to it and be like, well, this must be what's right for them, so I can at least rest easy on that. But when you're offered an alternative, then you know, especially with stuff like that, you almost meet this crossroads where you either have to accept, oh, okay, there's a kinder alternative to the girthy example. You know, I I can not punch my horse in the nose and I can solve that that bad behavior another way, but I'm also going to have to accept that I probably didn't need to be punching him in the nose and he didn't like that. That hurt. That was not nice for me. Or you can take the other path that's that information is nonsense. There is no other way (laughs) and preserve your ego and like not in the sense of like egotistical, but like your self identity esteem, preserve it that way by being like, no, that's not, that isn't reality. What I'm living in is reality and I'm doing the right thing. And I think that is, that is what's really hard to get past with switching or incorporating positive reinforcement And I think a lot of times, and I'm very, very guilty of this, when I first switched over to positive reinforcement, because of that and having come out of that, I almost overcompensated and overcorrected and then got really, really self-righteous because I was like, well, now I know the truth. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And uh, now you must also know the truth. And if you disagree with me, you are wrong and bad. And... Uh, you're also hurting your horse and I have no issue telling you that and it it was like that I I felt so like when I finally came out of the woods so to speak and saw this other side and was accepting it to make myself feel better about myself I I would assume this is my theory anyway as to why I went the like hardcore purist shamey route was that like I needed to feel better about myself somehow and bringing more people to the light so to speak was the the way I went about it while also simultaneously putting them down to lift me up, which is no, no bueno. And we've, we've learned and grown hopefully. (laughs) Um, so yeah, but I I think it's really easy to fall into. 
I mean, I definitely walked that same path. And that's why I say, like, watching your journey has definitely felt mm-hmm. like I've watched myself in a sense, like how it was for me. And oh my gosh, definitely, I went right down that path too. And I was very intense. intense. I feel like it's a rite <laughs> of passage, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's some research on this too. Uh, I think this is pretty normal, not just with clicker training and positive reinforcement. It shows up in other areas too. And a lot of it, I'm sure, has to do with acceptance to wanting to find your group of people and be accepted by them. Mm-hmm. So if everybody around you is being very much like that, then you kind of feel like you have to be like that to be accepted. That's right. Cool and and I think <laughs> I think when I had transitioned we were also in a, a a group chat of positive reinforcement trainers so I got really used to being in a community of people that like accepted this as fact and were like super cool with it so when I like I didn't get that pushback until I went to my own platform and then mm-hmm. it was just super defensive of like no all of you are wrong all like 80,000 of you that have been following me for the past like I don't know almost 10 years and I just did a 180 on you and now you have no idea what's going on, but suddenly I'm your enemy, you know, like <laughs> I took it there with a lot of defensiveness. And I mean, I think it's, it's hard not to do, especially when you're a little bit insecure in your beliefs, when you're new to something that like, uh, I just said it on my last episode actually too, that confidence is quiet and insecurities are loud. And I think that's, that's probably why your Instagram spoke to me so much more than the harassing comments on my social media because you were just putting it out there just like this is what I do I'm showing not telling take it or leave it versus the like hey Jill you're doing that super wrong and you're hurting your horse (laughs) I didn't want to hear that especially when it comes from like an anonymous account with like no picture (laughs) and like all that you're like um okay internet trainer Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like I see this all the time and it's so unfortunate because it does, it does exactly what you're talking about. It puts them off when they're getting these aggressive or passive aggressive comments that are telling them that they don't like their horse. They don't love their horse because they're doing these things. And they're sitting here going like, um, I would do anything for this horse. I teach, treat this horse like a king or a queen. And in our mind, like, what do you mean? Why are you judging? I mean, did you see how much money I spent on my horse last mm-hmm. week? And, you know, just mm-hmm. on and on. And then it's just this random person that we have no relationship with coming at us about something they don't understand. Right. And it puts us on the defense and it creates a problem. And then it starts the more of those that we collect, like in our learning history. So the more time we run into people that are like that, making comments like that, especially when it's associated with a certain type of mm-hmm. training or whatever, all of a sudden, they're like, well, if all clicker trainers are that way, I'm not going to touch that with a 10 Classical you know, like, conditioning. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're just conditioning them to associate positive reinforcement and clicker training with hostility and being attacked. And there's no good feelings around it when we could be doing the exact opposite and trying to use, um, you know, a lot of positive reinforcement and posit- and just... Uh, well, classical conditioning, but in a better way. So mm-hmm. creating those positive or pleasant associations with their interactions with people who do use positive reinforcement and clicker training. And that doesn't mean that we can't be putting educational stuff out there. That doesn't mean that we can't stand firm in what we believe and what we do. Doesn't mean that we can't keep promoting the science. It doesn't mean that when we're asked a question about something that we shouldn't be honest about it. But how we present that information and in what context and how often and like just all of these different variables that come into play uh, will make or break how somebody 
perceives that interaction. And I'll tell you from example, I'll kind of give a little fun story. Um, well, actually, real quick, I'm going to go back to where you mentioned getting off your horse crying after go using the it. whip on them. I have a client, I had a client recently that I've been working with for a couple of years now. And previous to me, she used a uh, certain training method that we will not speak the name of. And hmm. she, I bet I can guess. <laughs> and, um, and she told me, she, I said something about how amazing her horses were doing. And I love that, you know, she was telling me how grateful she was that I live so close to her because it's a local client. And, um, and, you know, and I loved, you know, we were just having a conversation about how much happy here she seemed about mm-hmm. the training and her horses were happy and they were having a good time and everything was going great. Um, and she goes, yeah, I'm not crying after my training sessions every time, like before. And I'm like, you did what? And she said after every single session she oh had with God. her horses with this previous method, oh. she would walk away crying. And she's like, but I didn't know what else to do. And this was the only like from everybody around kept telling me this is how you make a well-trained horse this is what you need to do and that they need to be put in their place and like on and on and on she's like so I felt like I needed to do it everybody in my community was telling me this is how it needs to be done but it felt so wrong but I kept doing it because it was everybody else is doing it like you have to do it this way right um and that just there's so many people out there that are like that myself included and it's so sad Mm -hmm. that people are walking away from interactions with their horses crying because of what they had to do to make it work and that's just terrible so much of my experience growing up with horses was was doing just that and uh you know I mean it's it's hard and then once you find you know another way positive reinforcement or what have you that's kinder you know even if it's not even if it's just more ethical more lima based like listening to the horse and respecting the horse more than just like the anthropomorphic you know, oh, he's just naughty because he's or she's red and yeah. things like that. It's it's so unfortunate. And I mean, that's that's why we do what we do, because that is like it's just people don't know and they don't have access to it. And, you know, it's it's not that I think that, you know, everyone needs to believe what I believe, but to at least have an alternative if you are not comfortable in what you're doing, you know, and also science would say that maybe you should look at it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The other story I was going to give was uh, working with my farrier, and she would tell you this story too, so that's Mm -hmm. why I don't have any problem specifying who it is. But she she definitely, like, if I just come at her and told her that she needed to click her train and, you know, blah, 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 and she was treating her horses this way or that way or whatever, then, you know, there was, there'd be no way. Like, she would just turn it off, like, nope, not doing that, whatever. It would have just really turned her away. But one thing that I did while working with her now, having a professional relationship changed the dynamic a little bit because I really wasn't trying to teach her how to train. I wasn't trying Mm -hmm. to get her to do anything. I just needed her to interact with my horses in a certain way and do what she did best of with the trims. Right. Right. So, um, so I would see her regularly every five to six weeks over years. And we started off from a place of her thinking I was the weirdo clicker trainer who gave her horses way too much food. Like literally she's told me this and to um, a couple of years later, she was like, 
well, you know, I'm about to get a young horse and would you show me some of this clicker training stuff? And then now she's like my biggest advocate and just <laughs> loves sending me clients and she wishes all her clients would work with me. And just, she's not necessarily doing a bunch of clicker training with her own horses, but she is such a, um, she understands it and she believes in it and she is an advocate for it. And it's just been a very gradual, slow conditioning process mm -hmm. and um, education process and developing that relationship and showing by example rather than telling. Right. And there is no way that would have happened if I had just come at her telling her what to do and how to do it. It was all done by demonstration over time and like a long time. It didn't happen in a couple of days. It was years. Um, and I love that example because there's been a lot of other ones that are very similar where when they've been, when people have been working with horses for their whole life, like sometimes I work with clients who've been working with horses for 40 years and I, you know, I'm young and, and so I still have quite a few years of experience, but not as many as they do. So mm -hmm. you can imagine the immediate like wall that kind of goes up with like okay oh, this young horse I, person uh, i don't in. have to i'm i'm in my <laughs> 20s so nobody yeah. thinks i know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah so for them as for people who've been doing this for a long time that have that long learning history especially not only but especially is so important to demonstrate and to um, present information very gradually as it's asked for and it'll be much more appreciated and welcomed when it's demonstrated and um, done in a caring and a kind way versus a, well, I'm going to show this person what's what, you know? And so right. it's such a, uh, I don't know. There's so many different experiences of working with people and different stories that come to mind where that was such a key aspect to it was taking that type of approach. And I didn't use to take that kind of approach. I definitely took the, um, uh, I just had another person on my podcast and she called it evangelical approach <laughs> and she's just like shouting it from the mountaintops, preaching at people, telling them this is the way, the only way, you know, like really turns people off. A lot of people off, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people. And it turned me off initially. Yep. I was like, no, you don't feed horses by hand. You don't feed them treats. You're going to make them yeah, fat, see, lazy. It's so strange bullies. to me that. Like I saw a lot of people being like, you're not supposed to feed horses by hand. And I never got that growing up. I just fully missed that one, I guess. But uh, some people did because people would tell me that, too, that they didn't hear don't feed your horses by hand. No, I'm like, well, you're lucky because, oh, my gosh, that was drilled into me from an early age. That's I, so I would imagine wild. I would imagine it probably depended on what type of boarding barn you were at or whatever, like the place I was at growing up. The horses were largely underfed as far as like not enough forage, mm. poor enrichment, whatever. Yes, they're all very mouthy, all very bitey. All the lesson ponies were way overworked and had minimal to no forage or enrichment. And yeah, so they I were just, all very prone to biting. I just listened to your most recent episode on my drive today and I found myself like this is I have lived this story <laughs> and you were like I feel like I'm rabbit trailing I'm talking about something that's not relevant but I'm gonna do it anyway and I was like nope I'm relating so please keep going <laughs> but yeah, yeah I I never got that I and if anybody had told me to I would have ignored them because I liked hand feeding <laughs> and wanted to do that and I remember when I first started um like trying to get my horses to do different things via hand feeding uh, which is very, very poor attempt at positive reinforcement. And I didn't have the, the vocabulary for it at the time. Um, 
but I remember with Bo when uh, he had been on stall rest for like eight months because he had half of his hoof cut off for a keratoma surgery. Um, I was like, I'm going to teach him all these tricks while he's on stall rest. And uh, it, it just, it did not go well because I was like, you have to bow to get the treat. What are you not understanding horse? <laughs> But, but I think, I think that's not a half bad metaphor for how a lot of traditional training is done with like, in regards to when you teach a horse to say, learn to steer under saddle. A lot of people, especially in the Arkansan neck of the woods, you just (sighs) get on the horse and then start pulling until they do what they're supposed to. And they only get the reinforcement at the end of the behavior, probably when they've completed a full circle, then they get the release of the rain. And, uh, that's what I was expecting from Bo at the same, in the same vein with the, with the bow. I was like, you need to be all the way down. It needs to be perfect. You're like rounding (laughs) your back. What is this? You're not getting a treat for that. Do it better. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) and so I think it's, it's hard, especially when you look at positive reinforcement, because I, I saw a lot of it's too time consuming. It's really hard to learn. I'm, I don't have any positive reinforcement trainers in my area, so I'm going to have to learn it myself. It feels like I'm starting over, but you can, you, I, I think that you could start to just even change the way you think and you go about approaching horses by just like, even in your traditional, perhaps negative reinforcement based training where you break it down even further, try to avoid escalation And then you could move into positive reinforcement, which arguably would help things along. But um, I think it's just, it's a really different way to think. But I, when I got into it, I found it really empowering that I was like, oh, okay. At first I had no idea how to even go about teaching a horse to say, put their head in a halter. Because every horse I'd ever interacted with already knew how to put their head in a halter. So now I'm faced with this. What do I do? And, but then having positive reinforcement from having worked with Zoe when I'm faced with foals that need to learn how to halter and I don't want to, you know, corner them (laughs) and throw a halter on their faces when they're terrified scrambling, um, then you can go, okay, what, what do they need to do first? How can I break this down and make it more manageable? And then there's a lot more confidence and like feeling capable that comes with that when it's bite-sized and you can break it down more. And I think that's that's where we lose it a little bit with asking people to consider shifting to positive reinforcement because it's just this big monster. It's like, how do we break it down into the small pieces? So it's not this big, daunting, overwhelming, awful thing facing down people and asking them to change everything that they do. It's horrible, awful. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm a little bit torn because on the one side of things, 100% with what you said, because as a positive reinforcement trainer now, focus trainer, whatever, uh, I'm a million times better with my negative reinforcement training, Mm -hmm. like so much better. And you have to understand, you know, for anybody listening, I've done and studied extensively all of the other methods. I did like all of the things. And I, and it wasn't that I was undereducated as far as when it came to negative reinforcement, maybe based on what a lot of more updated type training approaches are doing now. I, you know, I miss some of that stuff because there's some really good programs out there that are really educating their clients um, on effective training with negative reinforcement now, but back then, no. Um, but understanding shaping plans, understanding 
approximations, understanding, setting your learner up for success, um, you know, low stress, uh, following Lima, all this stuff. Like we can Mm -hmm. apply all of that with negative reinforcement, all of it. And that makes you a better trainer. And there are clients, there are horses that I have Um, I do intentionally use negative reinforcement for that specific situation. Now that is not my main area of focus. Those are pretty far and few between now these days because of where I am focusing my business and my energy and time, but they do come up still and I am much better with it now. And it's, um, it's really low stress. It's goes over really well. And unless the horse is packing serious trauma around that particular behavior and pressure, it usually goes very well. Um, I experience much the same with like, I, I live on a horse farm where I have, uh, my boss wants a bunch of our horses that come through the barn to be sold. Traditionally, there are some that we want to focus on with positive reinforcement and go to positive reinforcement only homes. Um, but yeah, I mean, the reality is the traditional world flips horses faster you can get them sold faster and I am an employee so I must do what I'm asked but I completely agree with you like having used positive reinforcement and clicker training um like has made me a far better negative reinforcement trainer because of the planning and being able to mentally and quickly break down a behavior assess a situation assess the cause assess how I might address it for a particular horse and I think we just miss a lot of that in our upbringing in the traditional yep. world. And like if we were to just improve that on its own, just teaching basic operant conditioning and lesson programs could go super, super far in terms of helping people have a better relationship with their horses and be more effective in their riding and training. Yeah. And on addition, in addition to that, the better timing, I mean, working with a clicker makes you really good with your timing. Mm-hmm. So, and that can be applied to negative reinforcement too, instead of the click, it's the release and it needs to be very timely and needs to be, you know, and it needs to be frequent. And that's the other thing is I feel like people withhold, like you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. reinforcement for way, way too long. Right. Um, and look for two, you know, their lumping criteria all of that with negative reinforcement and you know a lot of I you know thinking back to like my early days riding and training and even for a long time it just felt like a bunch of like really ambiguous push-pull right until you happened upon the final behavior and then and then it's no wonder too and I look at this also from a rider's perspective and and people being able to achieve higher levels of riding the same thing is happening to the riding students too it's a bunch of random push, pull, Mm -hmm. negative reinforcement, positive punishment, you know, maybe a little, you know, good job thrown in there every once in a while. But the shaping plans for the riders, for the um, students is really ambiguous, you know, and uh, I don't know, there's just so much missing there with a lack of understanding of operant um, conditioning and being able to break down shaping plans for our students. And this is where I love things like tag teach. Mm -hmm. If you haven't, you know, anyway, just that's a really good program to look into for teaching people. And it follows similar principles to like clicker training and positive reinforcement where it is. It's based on that, but it's specifically designed for people. Um, They use it with athletes and doctors and Mm -hmm. all kinds. And so anyway, um, so that's one side of the, the equation where it's like, I think there's so much value to be taken from learning about clicker training, operant, positive, whatever, all that stuff, and then bringing it back over into the negative reinforcement world and being able to be better in those areas. And 
um, learning how to be better, more effective trainers, more humane trainers, all of that. On the side of, well, okay, put another little thing in there is that potentially, you know, kind of doing that will will touch into that operant learning world and learning a little bit about clicker training, positive reinforcement, so that I can continue to use the negative reinforcement and be better about it and more effective with it um, has a lot of value. But sometimes I feel it can be a longer process and a little bit more confusing for students to try and keep feet in both worlds um, at the same time. So what I like to do with students, and this is how I have approached my coaching programs, and there are different approaches, and it's okay if you're, if you want to do a different uh, program and, and you feel like that would fit you better, is I like to separate out the learning with positive reinforcement and take off all the tack you know, right. take, put the fence between you and the horse. And like, we are starting from scratch. And I know that was one of the, the um, concerns was mm-hmm. that it feels like you have to start completely over. And I get that feeling a lot. Um, I was definitely there in that boat and had those concerns as well. Um, and so what I like to do is from the human learner's perspective, it is very beneficial to have a clean cut. Okay. We are just you know, just in quotation marks, doing positive reinforcement here. I'm going to learn about shaping plans. I'm going to learn about timing. I'm going to learn how to do this force-free without manipulating the horse, without applying Mm -hmm. pressure, because we have our learning history that tells us, oh, the horse isn't backing up. We need to lean into them. Right. Well, we just applied some pressure. And, And I want my students to learn how to achieve training the backup without resorting to those old learning, uh, old learned behaviors. I want to start completely from scratch. However, something I've learned over the years of being a a coach is that you, it's really not realistic to do that for everything right away. And it's not ideal for every horse rider team to just say, okay, scratch everything you've done before. We're going to start completely over and not do anything but positive reinforcement. Yeah. It's going to be pure it's positive reinforcement very, from this very point hard. forward. I remember when yeah. I first switched, I was like, how do I touch my horse now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I have so many students that will, they'll come to me because they're like, I can't do anything. And the problem is my horse is at a boarding facility. They still have to come inside. You know, I still need their feet to be done because that's not humane to let them, you know, go forever without having their mm-hmm. feet done. And what about vet care and all of this stuff? And so... What we try to do or what I try and help people do is isolate out specific behaviors that we're going to retrain with positive reinforcement or train from scratch with positive reinforcement under certain circumstances. So we'll create like a um, clicker training classroom, right? So like the, maybe not the round pen, but because that usually has a history with it, but maybe the pasture, the pasture is where we do all of our clicker training, positive reinforcement And then outside of that is when we do our normal, you know, quote, normal stuff. So I still lead you into the barn. We still do our farrier appointments. We still do our riding lessons. But then we go back to the pasture and I take your halter off. And now we start with our clicker training sessions. And then what happens over time is that the human learner builds confidence and skill and experience. And uh, the horse starts establishing more and more functional behaviors because we need the behaviors to be functional to be able to achieve vet care and riding and all that. And then we build from there until we can go about day-to-day stuff with the positive reinforcement trained behaviors. And so it's a slow transition period, but it's 
clean cut. Does that make sense? Rather than yeah. like mixing it all together. For sure. I When I went to the Alexandra Curling Clinic, I remember I, I was still fairly new to clicker training and I had asked her something about that that obviously to her smelled like I had done this. And she was like, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, Jill. Like, <laughs> just yeah. you still need to be able to like be safe and do things with your horse. But the point is to like start replacing things mm-hmm. as you go. And one of my favorite things that you always say is horses are very, very good at context and understanding context. And my horses very well know the difference between Jill with a treat pouch on and Jill with a treat pouch off. And yeah. like, I mean, there's so many different things that you could do. That that one I think is very easy, but you could train at a different time in the day from your traditional rides. You could, um, you know, have a 30 minute break and put on a different halter or go to a different area or use different equipment or put on your clicker training hat, like have a literal clicker training hat. I mean, there, <laughs> there are things that you can do to help delineate the two to number one, keep you you know, separated from the traditional brain and Mm -hmm. your horse separated. Because like you're saying, it is really hard to separate your quote unquote traditional brain from your new brand new shiny positive reinforcement brain. And I remember Zoe knows how to back up because when Mm -hmm. I first started clicker training, I couldn't help myself, but just tickle her chest a little bit because she already knew that. So then for months, anytime I went to scratch her shoulder, she started backing away from me. And then I was like, I was just petting you. Like I, <laughs> I didn't mean to, but then I created a super strong reinforcement history for it because I, it was mildly aversive at one point. Cause I would put my hand there and then gradually start increasing pressure until she backed up and then I'd take the pressure off. And since she knew that cue, I didn't have to apply very much pressure. And then when I went to teach back up, I just kind of used the old cue and then clicked and treated. And then it just got extra reinforced and potentially converted to a positive reinforcement cue. Uh And um, then all of a sudden I can't pet my horse anymore because I'm (laughs) still trying to assert my my will with pressure. And uh, then then when I tried to teach it with hands off, I couldn't help myself leaning. And I didn't notice that I was leaning until I went to that curling clinic and Cindy Martin was like, hey, Jill, can you like not lean at your horse? <laughs> she, you think she's responding to your word and she's not. She's responding to you leaning. Turn around, face the other way and say the same cue. She will not back up. And she was right. <laughs> that all to me sounds like a stimulus control mm-hmm. issue, though, because she just was picking up on, oh, if the human touches me. Because she wasn't differentiating between when you would scratch her on the chest or whatever versus the, right. the shoulder. She was just going, oh, she touched me in the shoulder region, <laughs> therefore must back. Yes, historically then- quite bad at stimulus control in the beginning. <laughs> I almost broke my foot not putting hip targeting on stimulus control. Oh, yes. I remember that one. Yep. <laughs> just and this is why, things. friendly reminder to all the people listening, we start with a stationary behavior. We start training Quicker trained behaviors, positive reinforcement with a, what I call a default neutral, but there's other people call it like an attentive neutral behavior or mm-hmm. uh, there's different words for it. It doesn't really matter. The whole point of it is your horse is standing with you calmly. That's right. the first foremost behavior that you train. You do that first before you do anything else. And then you can build from there, but definitely revisit stand with me calmly throughout the each training session and make that your most reinforced behavior because if every horse is confused, the whole point of it is 
they go, hmm, I don't know what else to do. I know that the most probable behavior to be reinforced is just standing here. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. Yeah. 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 Um, And that that was a big concern that uh, was voiced on my story that it makes pushy horses. It makes muggy horses. It makes them aggressive. It makes them dangerous. And I'm concerned for my safety because my horse is really food motivated. And um, I think I, I personally am not like... I can't think of any off the top of my head. I'm sure there are some people that have posted videos or pictures working with their horses where, um, you know, the clicker training might not look super good. <laughs> like the horse is all over the person and they're like, look, oh, I'm clicky and trading. I'm doing it. But, I've seen a few of those. They're quite scary. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I'm sure it exists. And um, it's that is the first thing that we teach. And I have like videos up for free teaching that on my YouTube channel because that it's Mm -hmm. so important. And I think that getting back to (laughs) the topic at hand, (laughs) um, which it's fine if we deviate, I don't care, but, um, (laughs) that like the point being that sometimes positive reinforcement can look bad on social media because of the approach and, the bad demonstrations and I'm using bad as like um in the sense that it deters people from Mm -hmm. wanting to at least investigate or create like intrigue and be like hey what is what is this person doing it's automatically like oops that's bad and uh for some people that's merely just seeing somebody hand feeding a horse yeah Um, (laughs) but, but other times it's because of how the horse is reacting and that the horse is all over the person or that the person is having to do a whole lot of work, or it seems like the horse is running the show, um, or that the person is maybe scared of the horse. I I think protected contact is a hard one for a lot of people to get over because they're like, I walk under my horse. Why do I need to stand between my horse and fence? (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, those are just more things I think that we can touch on a little bit about um, maybe what is a deterrent of, you know, trying to, teach and share about positive reinforcement online and making people the potential positive reinforcement trainers not want to train with it because it it looks dangerous and bad and not good yeah I think um you know a lot of times when people want to explore usually I kind of put these people into a treat training category now I'm not like opposed to using the word I don't know I have a love-hate relationship with the word treat because people associate that with like which my horses love. So I'm not knocking it, but you just can't use it for training, which is like Mrs. Pastures cookies. Right. Right. Like we're not using that. Right. We're using hay pellets. I use Timothy pellets and sometimes I use celery. Um, like I'm using the lowest value and sometimes I just go grab a handful of their hay and that's literally what I'm trying to Are the with. Timothy pellets around you guys lower in sugar than alfalfa pellets? I think so. Yeah, now Um, I need to recheck it, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, the last time I checked on Stan Lee, they were higher because I had a hoof care professional tell me that Timothy Hay pellets were higher than alfalfa and NSC. And I was like, what? That doesn't weird. Okay, well, I'm going to have to go double check that. (laughs) Yeah, I just random tangent there. I was like, wait, um, but (laughs) I could I could also totally be wrong. Uh, I I believe I've checked semi recently. but yeah, I my preferred word is snacks, which is snacks. super professional and really mature. But... I have a shirt that says snack leader from yeah. Wolf Culture. That's my, like one of my favorite shirts. Snacks, snack leader. Snacks are the best. 
<laughs> and it's it's not treats it's just it's snacks like snack <laughs> for human could be a healthy fruit or vegetable it's yes. not a treat it's just no. snacks snacks and um yeah so <laughs> I don't remember where we were going now you Sorry. got me all derailed my brain just went like whoa where'd we go what, um y'all that are listening and both Jill and I with our ADHD is it's, just whew. it's not yeah. good every time we get on the phone to talk about one thing it's just completely off the rails every time uh yeah like I think our last conversation we had about something totally non-related to this but we ended up talking for an hour and never even answered the initial question Mm -hmm. had to go back yeah and I Mm -hmm. I sat in the tractor supply parking lot for like an hour and a half yeah uh, not going in because I was done (laughs) uh yeah um we were talking about yeah uh like accidentally promoting treat training and danger and you said you had a love-hate relationship with the word treat yeah I have a love-hate relationship with the word treat Mm -hmm. and that's because a lot of times when people are first exploring like quote treat training we'll just kind of label it that Mm -hmm. um it's usually used they're usually using something too high of value you they're usually starting with something that sounds fun and exciting it's like a playful trick like a bow Yes, like a bow and trick training, whatever. And the problem usually, not everybody, I'm not trying to label everybody, but usually what I see happen is that they go in with this idea of this grand behavior that seems fun that they want to play around with. Maybe they're taking a break from riding. I don't know. Um, And they start with something fun and exciting and they usually lump their criteria. So that means that they're withholding the food for way too long until we see the end Mm -hmm. result or close to it, just like you gave your example with the bow. And so I see things like rears, a Spanish walk, bowing, running around, bucking, playing, all of these things, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm using the word play very loosely here. Um, yeah, I've yeah, seen that. Yeah, that's, a whole, that's a whole other topic. Um, and we end up creating horses that are extremely frustrated. They're basically going like, I can't figure this human out. This is super annoying. Um, they, mm-hmm. We see a lot of displays of frustration. We see uh, really dangerous behaviors too, or behaviors that could become highly dangerous. And then we have a lack of understanding of stimulus control. So putting it on a good, clean cue. And just, you know, there's all of these factors that get played in. And we see horses that are kind of out of control and look really dangerous to be around. And mm-hmm. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been training. I literally feed pounds and pounds and pounds of food every day. And this is all I do every day. And I am scared by watching those videos. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you're going to die. Like, yeah, <laughs> so I, yeah, I don't blame there. people for being thrown off by those videos. I would be too. Um, so yeah, I definitely in- had several with, with Zoe um, because right when I first started training, I fell into that. Okay, I've done target training and now she can trot with me. That's fun. And um, like I just taught her how to touch her nose to a target. And now I've escalated super fast, not differentiating to follow a target versus touch the target. And Mm -hmm. now my horse is trotting next to me with her nostrils pulled back and her ears, Mm -hmm. like you can't see them because they're so flat (laughs) against her neck. She's so upset. Oh, but she's a mare. Didn't you know that's normal? Right. It's a concentration (laughs) face, Adele. The concentration face. Oh my God, that annoys me so mad. And I'm like, and then I'm stuck in this, okay, now now that I know she has kissing spine and presumably sacroiliac Mm -hmm. issues, um, 
is it a pain related thing or did I build it in with frustration and now it's a part of the behavior and like mm-hmm. trying to parse it out. And I, I know that I talked about this like over a year ago and I think I talked to you about it. Um, haven't been consistent with Zoe. No, I haven't fixed it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but, um, we got better at it before I just forgot that I had a horse um, and worked on other people's horses, which is how <laughs> the horse goes. trainer's life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I, I think that, you know, there's still that element of like wanting to protect the ego and also uh, accidentally having faulty training, well-intentioned, but faulty nonetheless, you know, it's, it doesn't mean you're good or bad. It's objectively just now you have something else to work on and change. And, um, I, I think that I probably have a couple of videos like that. Uh, like I did some photo shoots where I was trotting with my horse and I can't use 90% of the pictures because she looks like I'm beating her, (laughs) even though I'm just running next to her. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, I definitely added to that pile, but, um, I can't well, and no, you're fine. I, I think, you know, my encouragement to people that are on the fence is you need to really go look to the professionals, right? If you are going to learn how to jump, if you were going to learn how to do dressage professionally, if you Maybe. were going, okay, okay, <laughs> ideally, ideally, okay, <laughs> sorry. Okay. If you were going to, um, I don't know, learn a new training method or just go try... outside of horse training. <laughs> Think of different <laughs> sport. Like... Okay, you're supposed to. You're supposed right. to go and learn from people that know what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And have a good reputation and are qualified in the area. Okay, fine. If you want to be a doctor, you're not learning from the person down the road who gave a shot one time, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're going to a school and you're getting your years and years of education and then your years and years of experience. And then you go and work under somebody and you learn. And, and then I tell people to think about, okay, so you've been riding for X amount of years, whatever, maybe you're even a professional at this point, you are a professional in your industry in the horse area. Um, maybe you're a professional, uh, reigning rider. I don't know. Anyway. Um, how long did it take you to get there? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. how many, how many instructors did you hire and how many practice hours did you put in and how much training did you do and how many, you know, this on and on and on. It didn't happen overnight. And when you're learning about clicker training and positive reinforcement, Maybe I'm not telling you it's going to take 20 years, but it is new, right? You're learning a whole new skill set. You're learning a whole new way of communicating with horses, a whole new set of behaviors, a whole new way of looking at things. You're changing your lens. Like it is going to take time and you need um, education, you need coaches, you need experience. And, you know, you're just going to have to, one, forgive yourself for learning mistakes. And mm-hmm. that's just part of, that's just a learning opportunity, right? teaching your mare to pin her ear yeah. when she's trying next to you. <laughs> okay. I, I don't even know if I've talked about this much on social media. I keep meaning to, but only so many hours in the day. And, yep. Um, I taught River the same thing. I actually don't do target training with my mare River anymore. So oh, yeah. that'll take you off the that hook. You don't need to do better. it. <laughs> When I first started working, and for you guys that don't know, she's my uh, six-year-old mare that I've had since she was four and a half months old. She was my, oh my God, she's clicker train. I know, right? That's crazy. Um, she's my my baby, my example, my horse that I was going. I actually got her during that period where I was still in this very much like I've got to prove this to the world. Mm-hmm. 
And so I got her to raise her up with all clicker training, you know, maybe a hundred percent pure about it and it will be amazing. And I will mm -hmm. prove to the world. Um, also I'm going to put this in there is it is not, you don't have to be the one to go out there and prove to the world anything, especially if you just started doing this. It's not yeah. your job. <laughs> Please don't. No, you don't have to carry the torch for everyone. No. Uh, we all do it because we get so impassioned. That is literally the catalyst for this podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I did the same thing with Azula. I was I, like, this will be perfect and yeah. might double as a tax write-off. <laughs> I can show the world. And, and uh, I did it with my mare. Yeah. And honestly, it's been such a beautiful experience and such a learning experience. She mm -hmm. has taught me so much. Like if I just started listing out all of the things and she, she is a wonderful example. She is an example that people use. And I can't tell you how many people come to me almost daily and they're like, yeah, I have a friend that's not sure you can work with young horses with clicker training and I show them river. And I, I love that. I love that yeah. so much, but her and I's relationship comes first. And it took me a little bit to get to that point where I realized her job is not to prove to the world that this can be right. done. I know it can be done. It's just, you know, she just happens to be one that is experiencing it. One of the first, and it's going to be amazing and beautiful. But anyway, I did make mistakes. I made mistakes with her. I poisoned some behaviors like following the target. I built a lot of withholding and frustration into it. Um, and so hard. Well, and just I also having a, a literal carrot stick in front of their face. practically. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. I've been able to successfully teach every horse pretty much since her how to do it without that. I'm mm -hmm. not every horse, but yeah, it's gone really well since that because Ditto. she taught me. <laughs> she taught me how to watch for that. And how how not to do it. <laughs> yes, how not to do it. She taught me how not to do it. And then there were other factors at play. And this has actually been the hardest part with her is that as much as she was supposed to be my demo horse, my horse that was supposed to prove to the world, um, she's got stuff like she had um, bowed front legs that needed multiple surgeries and they're fine now, but I didn't realize when I was teaching her targeting that, that those were starting. And mm. so she was likely in pain though. So just like with your mare, right. um, we've got some underlying pain conditions that we're building into this whole experience of being asked to move, to get the food. And if we don't move, we don't get the food. And so it's a mess. Yeah. Um, and then we also discovered she has PSSM. So that also got oh, built God. into it too. Anyway, it's just been a thing. And so um, I decided for her that I just set that one aside. I'm just like, I have so much other stuff to work on and I don't need that one. And it's okay. She does not need to prove to the world what I can do. You know, it was more about right. me again, right? It was my ego because it was like, no, this mare needs to show the world what I can do. And I'm like, that is so much weight on her. This is way off topic. but <laughs> No, it's not. I'm sitting here thinking about that. And I'm like, I think that that is also a big part of, of what we're talking about, that there's all this pressure and guilt and shame. And um, I, I did want to say something uh, regarding the, like, what you were talking about, like, you need professionals to help you teach. Um, and it's it sounds daunting, but um, I was listening to, I think it was... It might have been Warwick Schiller's episode about influential books because I'm like a mm. major book nerd and um, I am really, really good at buying them. Not super <laughs> good at reading them, but um, he summarized super well. So I feel like I can just have them on my shelf and be like, yeah, I, I got there. I got close enough. Um, but he First was approximation. Yeah, I, I think I forget who wrote it, but I think the book was called Mastery and he was describing how when you're learning a new skill, you 
are just you advance exponentially faster than mm-hmm. uh when you once you know all of the basics you plateau and you're like well I don't know what to do and that happened to me really really hard with clicker training mm-hmm. so that resonated with me and my boyfriend always gets mad at me for citing my sources because I'm always like well on this podcast or on this one he's like I don't no, care I, great. I don't care what Kirk Honda said on psychology in Seattle Jill just tell me the thing <laughs> I'm just impressed that you remember their names that's the only reason I don't cite more is because I'm like honestly drawing a blank on people that I meet every day <laughs> I try to I think it's a largely a part of imposter syndrome I'm like I don't want anyone to think that this came from me it didn't I'm not arrogant please (laughs) I'm humble (laughs) I was raised in the south but um, anyway that happened to me really really hard with positive reinforcement like I got into it and I was like doing all this and I'm advancing really quickly I'm learning I'm like taking in all of this knowledge I'm applying it I'm getting better at it I'm honing my skills and then once I got to the point where I felt like I can take on clients and then just kind like this one client I took on was for trailer loading but Mm -hmm. it ended up being self-haltering bridling the saddle also has trouble nobody can (laughs) touch her ears right and uh like and you also have to teach targeting and like there there was so much that went into it so I ended up like running pretty much the gamut and that has been happening since with uh, all the other horses that I've taken on and um so now I'm like okay well kind of whatever's thrown at my way like I'm pretty confident that I can figure it out even if I haven't done it before Mm -hmm. um and uh, don't let anyone hear that I said that because the second I'm asked to do it, I will suddenly regress right into imposter syndrome and be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Except for you're blasting this on your podcast. <laughs> right. But I'm I'm in my office by myself. Nobody can hear me. Oh, okay. okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I do just want to, I guess, bolster what you were saying with the added caveat of like, yes, it requires a team and dedication and learning. But so does doing it traditionally. And just as quickly as you are able to advance there in the beginning, it's the same with positive reinforcement. If you if you put as much energy as you did with starting writing or just doing things traditionally, I mean, you just you go through the roof. I mean, I taught Zoe targeting and then manners and then following the target, which didn't go well, but we need to ignore that one. And then self-haltering and self-bridling and then uh, reconditioning the tack. And then can she follow this target over a pole? Can we do X, Y, and Z? Can she lift this leg? Can she target her hip? Can she now walk sideways when I'm standing on the side of her? Can I get her to literally side pass towards me? And like Uh being able to do all these cool things really, really quickly because you just, once you understand it, you get it. Then you teach the horse, the horse gets it. And then it's just a refining process and getting better and better and what he talked about, uh, the example that they use in the book is a black belt in karate that um, this guy in the book had started karate and was like, oh, I can't wait to learn what you learn as a black belt. And then when he finally hit black belt, they were basically back at the basics, back way mm-hmm. to the beginning, refining the basics and moving mm-hmm. from there. And I, like I said, with feeling like I can teach pretty much anything, which sounds arrogant, but... If you, if you understand the basics of operant conditioning and you're familiar with your species, horses, it's like it's just a matter of coming up with the right shaping plan or management protocol for the most part. And like if you can find what works for that horse, and I, I, I know this might sound like an oversimplification, like it is complicated, but at the same time, once you know the basics, it's easy to like make the complicated simpler. Does that make sense? I'm going to, yeah, no. And I'm going to butcher this quote, but it's from Ken Ramirez, who's an amazing trainer. You guys should definitely check him out. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and he says advanced training is just the basics done very, very well. And right. that's really what it is. I mean, it is more than that, but it's also not. It's like you have that foundation that you lay and it's the basics and the basics are hard to learn. And then once you learn them, um, it's a, a matter of refining them and then building on them and everything keeps building and you always revisit the basics and you build the basics into everything. It's just, they get more and more complicated, like more detailed, more, um, yeah, there's just more to them. There's more variables about them. So when I look at things like I'm going to train, like right now, my, my river, I keep bringing her up cause I've been working with her a lot lately. Lucky um, you. I build- <laughs> your personal horse jealous <laughs> um part of it the reason i'll give you my little my little trick here is that i have to do all of my videos for my courses so mm. i use my own horses for those so yeah. i'm kind of like it has to happen <laughs> so um so it's really great it works out nicely yeah. uh, it's still so work. working <laughs> so, yeah. so it's worthwhile right exactly and i and it keeps me motivated and i don't anyway Mm-hmm. It's it's cool. It works out. So um so I'm working on some, like doing in hand at liberty dressage with her with positive reinforcements all clicker train, but I'm starting from a default position which is my very beginning foundation behavior and then I am, um, then I got to well really like you said it comes down to shaping plan so I got to know okay what's going to be my cue for this how do I need this to look in what context are we going to use this how long does she need to hold this behavior for is it going to morph into anything else do I need it in comp like so we need to know all of these details really being able to piece all of that apart and then knowing what to do with all all that information that's what you learn in the basics Mm -hmm. and then all it is is just a little bit more detailed and complicated as you get up into the more quote advanced behaviors but yeah I totally agree with everything you said that's good (laughs) one thing I wanted to add to that too is that I say instructors and coaches and you know, all of that, and which would be amazing. And there are a lot of opportunities to work with coaches all over the world. I mean, I teach, just for one example, I teach people in France and Canada and just Germany and everywhere. So, and I do real-time coaching. So it's like, I'm sitting right there. I know. I Um, saw your TikTok or some video the other day of you, like actually working with someone, watching them on Zoom. And I was like, I props to you again with the control freak (laughs) issue. I, I had to like pause Number one, because I'm in a master's program, so I'd like have to cut my horse in social media time in half. But the um, like just the control issue of needing to be there <laughs> to be like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. But let me get in there. And that's, that's that sounds like you need to work on your hands on part. You need to be a little oh, yeah. less hands on. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, the clients that I've worked with in person it takes me a hot minute to get there. And usually we have to put the horse away and do, I need them to click or train me first before I'll pass the mantle and let them click or train their horse. <laughs> well, I do that too. We'll do human to human practicing mm-hmm. all the time. Um, but I, something I have learned and I'll just kind of pass this on to anybody who cares is that it's so critical that the client learns to do it themselves and mm-hmm. actually does it themselves. Cause I can step in and do it all. Like I can train your horse to, do a pee off and do dressage pattern backwards. And well, I mean, that might be a little hard, but like in no well, time, you're not but... always going to be there to load the horse. Yeah. And also if they don't understand how we got there, mm-hmm. they can't replicate it for anything right. else. And if they don't have that relationship with the horse either, because I can't tell you how many times this has happened where I leave and everything falls apart. I come back. The horse is like 
recognizes my truck, knows what's happening, mm-hmm. whips it all out. It's beautiful. And, you know, that happened way more before early on in my coaching career than now, thankfully. Um, but a lot of that has come from realizing that I need to be way less hands-on and I, I just need to do better as far as like how I'm coaching and I can do some demonstrations, but it's really, they need to be clocking that time and they right. need to be really comprehending like how we're achieving each step. Mm-hmm. Anyway, going back to um, uh, community, that's where I was going to go with next. I think too many people isolate themselves or <laughs> accept a Facebook group as their form of community when it comes to doing this new thing. And then that's, you're just putting yourself on an island, right? You're isolating mm-hmm. yourself or you're putting yourself on an island with a bunch of extreme critics and people that are probably don't have your long-term best interest in mind. Right. So probably. obviously you either need to join the Equithery Discord server where everybody's <laughs> super nice and lovely and we have- live... I didn't know you had a Discord server. Of course I do. Live monthly <laughs> meetings. If you become a patron at the $5 tier, you have lifetime access or- Uh, to plug Adele you also have courses with communities and I listened Mm -hmm. to the full ad so now I am fully informed (laughs) on your last episode (laughs) and you can level up into the academy but you get communities both way am I right Mm -hmm. so quick plug yeah yeah I know we have the the course the initial foundation course which is where we do the basics um but really technically like we go into it so you will walk away from the foundation (laughs) i bet you do (laughs) you will walk away from the foundation course fully prepared to do your own training if you wanted Uh, but you can like you said level up into the academy and that's all my foundation course graduates and we have people in there that are riding doing dressage training of really advanced cooperative care like we had one um, student of mine she needed her horse to not only take meds in the eye like the gel and all that but she needs to actually hold her eye open during the whole time so she trained the horse to keep her eyelids apart for an extended period of time i did i did the halfway there just the gel on the eye but wow that's yeah right i was impressed yeah no joke (laughs) that's crazy so yeah so that's where all my um more you know quote advanced courses are to the riding ones and all that anyway um but I'm really big on the community part. And that's one thing I wish I had really found earlier on. And I did actually, to some degree, I had some friends I met on social media. They were the ones that encouraged me to get started, but without them, I would have absolutely failed. I would have failed. I would have never gone back. Like you need somebody, you need a couple of people that are there to support you, bounce ideas off of, and also tell you when you need to keep learning and trying again. Right. Um, Our WhatsApp group was like super integral to keeping me motivated. Like I remember my, uh, boyfriend at the time he would always be like who are you texting and I was like shit my positive reinforcement group leave me alone like (laughs) I was so invested in that group and then we all just I guess just decided at the same time we don't need to do this anymore unless you guys just continued without me but that's would also be understandable because (laughs) I stopped responding (laughs) no I think we all hit rough patches in life and it kind of just yeah but we all have stayed well most of us relatively connected but The, um, I know you and I have, and there's at least one other, two other people that I Mm -hmm. stay connected with, but I think that even if you don't have somebody that is like coaching you in person or you're not taking a course right now, you need to find people even, or if, even if you have those people, um, you need to find a community because I guarantee you that you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle no matter how good you are. 
if you're only surrounded by people who doubt you and ask you questions and don't understand and don't push you in and don't encourage you and just don't believe in what you're doing. I mean, that's true of any. Yeah, and there's something wild about Facebook groups that, like, even if you're in a, like, don't get me wrong, the positive reinforcement clicker training groups are super helpful and great, but Uh sometimes it still seems like it just must be the nature of Facebook groups that everyone still is angry at each other and thinks everyone is wrong. Like, I, I, the other day I saw someone whose book I am reading currently arguing with someone on Facebook and, uh, the other person was very convinced that this uh, this individual that is very accredited was wrong, and I was like, "What is happening right now? This is this is so Facebook of them." But um, yeah, I mean, it's I don't know. I I what what it, would your suggestion be for a community then outside my Discord server, which is wonderful, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, um, you know, I personally I stay far 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 away from Facebook. I do have my Facebook business page, but oh, and I same. am a member. I'm a member of many different groups, but you won't mm-hmm. find me nope, in me them unless somebody tags me. And even then, sometimes I, I kind of toss the coin on whether or not I want to participate in whatever's going on. Click that notification and look yes. the other way. <laughs> yes, that does happen. And now if it's a like a good thing, like they're tagging me like, hey, she's got her course, like I'll oh, like yeah. that or whatever. Love but... you. Saw that for sure. I don't know how <laughs> I keep losing the other notifications. <laughs> Um, right. I would encourage most people to stay away from the Facebook groups. I mean, I know, I know that some people love the Facebook groups and there is some good information on them, but I think you could find that same information somewhere else. That's much healthier, um, interactions between people. Um, like your course or my discord server. (laughs) Yes. I think you could also reach out to some people maybe on, well, I happen to be an Instagram lover. So I, that's where I got my start. So I tend to have a bit of a, um, positive feelings towards Instagram. Now there's definitely hostility on Instagram. There's definitely some toxic stuff there, but I find it's a little bit less than Facebook and what you can do to make sure that it stays more, healthy is if there's a couple of accounts that you've kind of been following or reaching out to, or maybe you've chatted back and forth, maybe you, those couple of accounts, you could invite them to do a small group. Mm -hmm. Like maybe if that would be more comfortable for you rather than a large group, um, you guys, I mean, like a WhatsApp thing, you could create a private little community or even on Instagram itself. Um, Like you invited me into that group and I, I didn't know anybody else in the group. And was just like, I don't know who you guys are, but thanks for having me. And (laughs) I can't wait to talk to you. And I learned so much from them and got a bunch of encouragement. And when it's in that, like, I don't know, everyone has like something to lose sort of, which is maybe Uh the most negative reinforcing take I could have had on that. But like (laughs) the, it, it provides a little more incentive to be nice and encouraging and be like delicate with your criticism. Would that be negative reinforcement or negative punishment? Because you'd be with re- removing the reinforcer. So I think it would be negative punishment. Like if they got kicked out of the group for being rude. Yeah. But if it's just a threat of that, would it be, <laughs> would it be punishment already because it's just I don't a know. threat? I don't know. <laughs> Oh my gosh, probably doesn't even matter. Um, I, yes, I agree with you. They're they're more invested, and there's more of a personal relationship. There's more personal investment, and it's not just some anonymous person that even if they have their picture, even if they have a profile, people just use social media like it's some sort of barrier or protection, which it is, um, unfortunately, sometimes. Uh, and just to say whatever they feel like. Yeah, and... I think the key would just be to pick somebody that is. Mm-hmm 
open-ish. Like they're yeah. comfortable sharing their horses and they're putting themselves on the line already online yeah. and are like in the same boat you are maybe to be like, okay, we're both out here showing what we're doing, you know, versus people like that are creating a study group. Like yeah. that way you guys are encouraging each other and studying together and like learning together. It would be probably beneficial to have one or two people in the group that are further along in their journey. Mm -hmm. um, as far as this particular thing goes, because that way you guys have, you know, you have somebody to look up to and, you know, you can have different stages. Um, and if you find somebody who wants to, that's a professional that wants to help too, that's great. But maybe it would be beneficial to have not, a or sorry, to not have a professional in the group because then that might feel, make people feel intimidated and like they don't want to share. So I think probably a more close, small group of people that are in a similar area or similar uh, part of their journey uh, would be really beneficial community. That's what I know I got started. That's how you got started. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously we've got the bigger groups, which my group is not all that big and is very um, closed, meaning mm -hmm. you have to go through many months of the foundation course and then you join. And then, I mean, we're, we're all super, um, and I'm just sharing this as an example of how the community should be. And we, if somebody posts something, um, they, we actually have kind of guidelines that unless you specifically put it in your caption that you were looking for help right. or advice, you, nobody else is allowed to comment advice. Like yeah. they're allowed to support and encourage, but they are not allowed to offer that, critiques or feedback. I believe is also in my server rules and I have mods because I'm not as active as I would like to be in the discord server, but I have mods that are pretty active in there and uh, monitor that for me, which is the nicest thing ever. Shout out Katie and Peyton. You guys are <laughs> Well, and it's so important for you, for people, myself included, um, to be able to show what we're doing and get that R plus for ourselves because <laughs> we're mm -hmm. probably not getting it from the people around us here right. locally at our boarding barns or whatever. No. Um, so we need to be able to do that without the fear of being critiqued and told it's not good enough, you know? Yeah, for sure. And hmm. I, I honestly have kind of lost the plot on this episode. <laughs> I think that we've covered a lot of really good things. I'm not sure how or if I should bring it back to the misrepresentation of positive reinforcement. But I think I think we've covered several aspects of it. Um, I just have no idea what I'm going to title this episode. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think... I mean you can cut this out if you want, but I mean, I'm, my kids are quiet right now, so we can keep going if you want. Oh, um, lit. I'm down. I <laughs> have all my devices muted, so I have no idea if anybody needs me and I don't Too bad. care. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, okay. Alrighty, friends and family folk. I am so sorry that you are hearing just me and not the glorious Adele. Uh, but I am going to go ahead and break this episode up into two parts because this was a very long conversation and I want to preserve your brain. And also, I don't want to have to think about another episode for next week. And this will probably give me a chance to get ahead on episodes, which would be pretty freaking cool. Uh, you know, quality over quantity. Am I right? Uh, and this way, hopefully I won't have to miss an episode. And if I if I miss an episode uh, two weeks from now, then you 
can publicly berate me if you want. But um, let's hope that doesn't happen. And I hope that you guys are enjoying the conversation so far and that you're learning something, gaining something. It will continue next Tuesday. And I, I just, this podcast is so cool to be able to do with Adele because she is literally the like the one (laughs) she's the one that got me into all of this and has been so gracious with her knowledge and her time and it's just it's so cool to finally have her on the podcast it feels like a full circle moment so I hope that you guys are enjoying it and I will catch you guys in the next half next week thanks be sure to check out everything Adele related and rate review all of the things all of the links are down in the description check them out okay bye (laughs) 